disappointed, but I'm not one of the pastors who will be on for comedy night. Oh, whatever it is. Yeah. There you go. All right. Hey. <laughs> uh, I just want to publicly say, Marie, thank you for what you're doing. She, um, she had had me doing some video shoots this week to be able to have some promo videos and be able to interact on some other messaging themes that she can sort of post. And she came to me and she said, Carrie, how do we get the church more visible? And I said, well, you tell me. And, and so she's got her own way and some of the things that she's been doing in the community at large for a number of years now. And it's just nice to have us teaming together for you to be a part of this church and this comedy night. She's She's like, how many chairs can I have? And I said, well, I think we can put about 250 chairs up in here. And she says, all right, then that's how many tickets we're going to sell. We're going to fill it up. So you need to get your tickets and go from there. That's great. That's great. So glad to have you come. I want us to pray. We are going to uh, begin a four-week series here today. But um, I don't know what it is, the beginning of a new year. Maybe it's what I went through a week ago. Um, But there's just... Something in my spirit that says we desperately need Jesus for this year. How about you? You put your hands up like this. Our Lord Jesus, we come as beggars because we are a needy people. Sometimes we acknowledge what that need is. Other times in our arrogance, sometimes we're indifferent to what the need is. But inevitably, Lord, through the course of probably this year, there will come that place where we acknowledge that we are so needy. We are dependent because you made us not to be independent, but to be interdependent with you. And so, Lord, I pray beginning this morning in this series that you will strengthen us as individuals, as families, and as a church community. Lord, may there just be authenticity that's uh, sort of stirred through the pot of this year. As we seek you, Lord, may we not be presumptuous. May we not carry on an aura of spirituality that's truly not a part of our life. But yet at the same time, Lord, may we not fall short of all the blessings that you want to pour into our life. All the strengthening that you want to develop within us, with our character, and Lord, with our hunger for knowing you. Lord, may you take us as broken people. And may you lead us to strong, high, mighty places for you. Lord, we love you. I'm mindful in a morning like this, Lord, even as uh, we sang with the one song, that uh, there's people that are in a place of brokenness and needing you, the great I am. And I pray, Lord, if anybody walked in here today with a tremendous brokenness of spirit, that you would minister your grace already maybe through songs, but through your word through the community, one to another as a body. Lord, may you make us a place where broken people are healed, made well, and set out on a strong course. And Lord, anybody here in that place, specifically here this morning, we pray with their outreached hands, palms up, that you would pour into their life your presence, your blessing, your word, your anointing. In your name we pray. Well, some of you have asked, how are you doing? And uh, I want to thank you for that, for your uh, interest in my life. 
the reason you are asking that, if you were not here last week, is while I was back visiting family for the holidays, I was in a really bad car accident. And it was such a bad car accident that I am still recovering emotionally from it in some ways. So to answer your question, I am doing fine physically. The, the tension and all that kind of stuff is out of my body. But uh, I'm still not sure how I'm doing emotionally. I was driving on a country road in a pickup truck, and I stopped at a stop sign. At least I thought I did. This is an open country, so you don't see cars very often. And you're mindful of that, that you can overlook something. And sure enough, I looked to the right, I looked to the left, and I didn't look back another couple times because you're in the country, and I'd pulled my back muscles, and I didn't want to turn my body. But I probably should have. And as I crossed that uh, crossroad section, I was T-boned by a vehicle going probably about 60 miles an hour. Thankfully, both of us were okay. I was uh, extremely concerned for him because I destroyed, demolished the front of his car. My pickup wasn't all that bad, but it lifted us up, and both of us were thrown into the field. Now, I don't want to be over uh, dramatic in this, but uh, since you ask, how are you doing? Um, I want to climb you a little bit into my emotional world, and it's going to play into why I'm charged to head into 2016 here and for us to develop you know, greater spiritual strength in our personal life at whatever season of spiritually seeking God you are. But I didn't have one of those out-of-body uh, experiences necessarily, you know, the near-death experiences. But I'm such a thinker and visualizer and dramatic kind of person internally that I had to pause in my mind, in my franticness, I couldn't find my phone. If you're in a car accident, your phone flies everywhere. And I'm frantically trying to find my phone. I'm concerned about the other guy as the airbags have exploded on him. And he's trying to get out. And I said, are you okay? And he says, I, I don't know. He says, I don't know. My chest, my chest. And um, it, it's just surreal because you're just two vehicles there in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows what's going on. We had yet to see all the first responders and everybody fall, fly up. But you're you're sitting there in your vehicle and you're trying to look around and get out and it's surreal and you're like, it's just us. He, if he wasn't in those restraints, if I wasn't in restraints, he could have easily been through the windshield. He could have um, been in a very bad physical condition, maybe having died. I could have been the same in some ways. And you go, wow, this is sort of like you come up and say, there we are, this beautiful, incredible, weird, tragic scene all at the same time. And then my brothers, I saw them because uh, word had gotten to them. And uh, my two older brothers, that uh, godly men, and they oversee the farm uh, corporation that I'm a part of, I saw them drive up with another pickup. They parked and they came walking over. It was all the first responders around. And I thought to myself, you know, they could be walking up not to their alive brother who just destroyed their nicest pickup truck, <laughs> but they could be walking up to their dead brother. So here I am, I'm alive in my truck, I get out, I, I've messed up, I tell you, I cried, and um, they um, tried to affirm, trucks doesn't matter, you're alive, that's what matters. We get in the pickup after they're cleaning things up, and, and we head back three miles to the farmstead, and we pull up to the house, the house I grew up in, that my mom that's 85 that still lives in, that I just sort of had breakfast with that morning and I was heading out to um, do some work on a rental house that I own uh, for the day is where I was headed. And I pulled up and I said, uh, does mom know? And they said, well, no, why would mom know? And you walk in, a little surreal, one brother, second brother, you, and mom, Carrie had an accident. Are you okay? 
And so you start talking about all of it, but it easily could have been my two brothers walking in and telling mom what? Something really tragic happened. Some of you have had that in your life. And maybe it wasn't an accident, maybe somebody passing away, but a moment in time where reality is defined. We are very fragile beings. We have a limited time span. Whether we live a full life or whether our life is cut short, we need to acknowledge who we are as human beings and we need to be thankful, yes, for every day that we're given, but we need to be dialed into the greater reality of things. I'm so grateful for the last few weeks and those who filled my place, Steve Riley, who did a great job when everybody was gone after Christmas, and then uh, Mike Bartell, and I had a chance to listen to Mike's message this week, and Mike was dialing into that greater reality um, in his talk and, and uh, the eternal life. And then Mark Porter last week, um, who came to share with us about change. But this is some of my emotion I'm going through. It's like, Lord, I'm alive today by your grace. And by the way, I think we found out the possibility the other gentleman was a pastor as well. That I'm alive today by your sovereign decree. What am I going to do with my life? My family was already back here when I'd said goodbye to them at the airport to get them back to get the kids in school. I was spending a few extra days in study and finishing up the work on my rental house. I would have never thought that that could have been my last goodbye. Right? In fact, my family's going to be able to spend some time together today, all six of us, and, and, and tomorrow, which is nice. And, and I'm thinking, Lord, what do I need? <laughs> what do I need to do to rethink through my life? So, I don't know. You might get me in a little bit of a twilight zone as I walk through these weeks. Because as I said the next morning, it's a bonus day. It's a bonus day. Interesting, the sheriff that drove up, I actually knew I played basketball with him. And uh, he was trying to encourage me as he was getting ready to leave. says, Kerry, Kerry, it's fine. It's fine. You know, it's, his son's going to come up tomorrow unless the rapture happens. <laughs> and I said, thanks, Paul. I appreciate you getting me back in reality. But today's a bonus day. You're alive. The Lord hasn't returned yet. This is a bonus year. What are you going to do with the year? You ever have those times of recalibrating your life and thinking through, well, how do I need to be living uh, maybe uh, differently, maybe more aggressively, uh, pursuing God, whatever it might be, maybe re-altering a course of a relationship that you have uh, that's around you or maybe a trajectory on a career path. You're needing to think through and reevaluate. Well, in this series, I want us to think through and reevaluate, specifically as it relates to how we can be changed more into the likeness of Christ. I loved Mark last week, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to go online and listen to his message here. A convicted felon who, in the middle of a prison, all right, actually gives his life to Christ on his own on a concrete floor. He didn't go into this a lot, but he was actually discipled by a radical Muslim who had come to know Jesus Christ and was discipling guys in the prison. And here he was now being a church planner in Ocean Beach for the Alliance. And he told you last week that you could change, that God can take all things and make them new. No matter where you're at this morning, no matter what path you've been on, no matter how disappointed you are in yourself or other people are disappointed in you, change can happen. And that change comes through life in Christ. Last fall, heading into Christmas, we talked through 
Paul's letter to the Christians in Colossians. And in that letter, he exhorted them strongly on different fronts to set their minds on things above, not on earthly things, to be able to rid themselves of certain things or hindrances to where God wanted them to be. And so we are on that path today. It's a bonus day. It's a bonus year. What are we going to do? God, how do you change my life? How do you make me whole? How do you use me? How do I find your purposes again? And if you're tired of that kind of message, then you're probably going to stop showing up at church because all I know is to remind us time and time again that God has called us, as our theme says, to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. But there was something really important, and Mark touched on it last week, we touched on it in Colossians, is that when we get these bonus days, these bonus years, and God, what do you want to do with us here on this earth? There's a tendency to come to faith in Him and let Him come into our life, where we repent, we turn, and He comes into our life, we begin to follow Him by God's grace, thank you, but then it's like, okay, now that Jesus is in my life, now that I'm a Christ follower, I need to grow up. And I need to change. And if I'm going to change, I've got to work really, really hard. And I'm going to try to be a better person. And I'm going to try to stay away from those addictive things. And I'm going to try to be able to serve the purposes he sets before me. And all of a sudden, we go from this beautiful grace message of God changing our life into one where we're trying and trying and trying harder. And doggone it, it's not happening. So we just want to quit. Just want to quit. Oh, we may be faking some other people, but you know internally you're not any more mature, any more godly than you were the year before. So why set out some type of you know, goals for 2016 when you've been there, done that? Well, I want to challenge you in this. What we're going to be talking about is how you can be changed into Christ-likeness more in your life. But it's not by trying harder. It's by trusting and by training. So I put this up, two things versus trying versus trusting. Let's start right there. Give up trying in your own strength to become more mature, more like Christ, to see transformation happen in your home. Because you will get wore out trying. You have to begin by trusting, trusting in the finished work of Christ, what he's done in you. There is no one righteous in this room. I want you to know that if you didn't know that. We've all fallen for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Scriptures say we are all messed up people. So stop trying to become the new and improved you. But what you have to do is you have to come to trust in Christ. And His righteousness, His uprightness, His goodness becomes applied to you so when God sees you on the final day, whether it's through an accident or through passing naturally from this world, He will say, well, why should I let you into my perfect righteous heaven? He will see not you and your brokenness and sin. If you have received Christ in your life, he will see Christ's righteousness and he will go, hey, good deal, you're perfect because Christ dwells within you and Christ is the one who leaves this place. So you stop trying and you trust. You trust as surely as, and it's an analogy often given, this stool, I am going to trust this stool to hold my weight. You rest in him. 
And that's what their Colossians was about. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. So this isn't about religion. If you're checking the box for doing the religious thing today, you've come to the wrong place. Okay? But it is about a relationship and us resting, trusting in that relationship. I walk away from that tragic automobile scene, and I think to myself, thank you, God, that all my hope is in you. I really screwed up today. I could have killed somebody today. I could have died today. And I definitely increased the insurance with my brothers. But I rest not in who I am, but in who he is. So stop trying and start trusting. Now, this is the transition we're making this morning. Because as much as I enjoy the Colossians 3 passage, and I want us to trust in him, I don't want us to then go from there to think there's nothing that we do to grow in godliness. Because that's not true. I want you to start training for godliness. This Christ in you, if you're a Christ follower this morning, now needs to be able to live through you. And guess who gets in the way? You do. I get in the way of myself. My own sinful nature is still there. But I have to yield to Christ in me. And so there is a training process by which I move forward in my faith to grow in godliness. And this is something that's serious. I can't tell you how much I want to, um, I, I'll use, I just want to vomit. When I get around Christians who have this simplistic mindset of saying, well, I've accepted Jesus in my life and I just can't wait to go to heaven and, and now I'll just go and do what I want to do. Like, it's some fire insurance, right? No, it was a relationship, a dynamic, beautiful relationship about his kingdom, his reign, and what he's doing in the world. You're coming into that as part of a new people community of God. Come on, get a grip. And, and don't have this simplistic idea of just sitting around and saying, well, I get saved and that's it. And then, my God, I, 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 all things are finally made right when I see Jesus. Well, praise God, things are all finally made right when we see Jesus. But we are given this life to grow in godliness and holiness and Christ-likeness. And so you and I, we need to be at this. As surely as maybe your goal was to do better in the uh, uh, exercise world, uh, the first of 2016, or maybe the dieting world, or maybe a study kind of world, and we have all these New Year's resolutions, as mentioned in the last couple of weeks, as surely as you would have that tenacity, I want us to have the tenacity to go into training into godliness. And so in this series, and this is still all part of the introduction of the series, don't worry, we'll end on time, is that I want us to do some cross-training. Some cross-training. Critical inputs for a vital faith. I got my uh, son one of those sport watches for Christmas, right? And right there on the head of the sport watch are, are different activities. Biking, swimming, running, right? I mean, you can calibrate everything that's going on with some of those watches. GPS, all that kind of stuff. I didn't get any more with the heart rate. That was too expensive kind of deal, right? But cross-training is the idea that you're going to train in different disciplines 
so that you will work and exercise different muscles for the greater good of the one thing you would like to do. And so with cross-training related to our spiritual growth, growing in godliness and maturity, is I want to lay out to you some different disciplines for you to be diligent in, not to try harder to get brownie points with God and to look good to other people. No, that's not the interest. I want you to play well in the game of life. But to play well in the game of life, you need to be doing some calisthenics, you need to be training, you need to be in practice, all right? And so these different disciplines, we are going to look at four of them in particular. I could look at eight, ten, whatever, but I'm just going to take four, otherwise you might get really weary at this series. So we're going to do four disciplines of cross-training that need to be a part of your life on a regular basis in order for you to become good at what God's called you to, which is to be like Christ in this world. You got that concept? So that's where cross-training comes from, critical input for a vital faith. And these are the four that we're going to look at. The first is shepherding. Next week we're going to look at scripture. Then solitude and some things that are a part of the whole aspect of the discipline of solitude. And stewardship and some of the broader ramifications of stewardship. Like I said, I could put up several here. I chose these to be all game with S's. And we are going to walk through each of these four. And you can make the decision as if you want to engage in them or not. That Hail Mary pass that Aaron Rodgers threw last night, you might think that that was lucky. He completed it and tied the game and went into overtime. But they practice those kinds of things. It doesn't just happen, right? So also, for Fitzgerald, who scored the touchdown on almost the opening play of overtime, that ability, he's got some God-given ability to run and dart for the yardage he did to try to score that touchdown, and the Cardinals won last night. But he got to that physical condition, when you look at that man, by years and years of what? Training. Do you want to know why you, why you not only fail others, but ultimately you fail yourself in life sometimes when you're just so disappointed? Like, I can't believe I just wrecked that vehicle. I can't believe I just wrecked my life. It's because you've not been in training. You cannot throw the pass. You cannot make the run in life on the spot when you need to unless you have taken time behind the scenes And this is my encouragement for Christians. Stop just taking all this extra energy and trying and trying and trying harder to suck it up and do better. Just let go of that and trust. Trust in God. But as you trust in God, just don't just feebly wait around and go, oh, whenever God, yeah, whatever. Jesus will come someday. I get to go to heaven. No. Don't be a train wreck to other people or to the faith. Go into training. And over the course of years, you will develop a spirituality and depth and breadth of maturity that you probably won't even notice sometimes, but others will, because that's a godly person. Yeah, they're, they mess up too. They make mistakes. But I see how they react to it. I want all of us to grow up in this church. And I want us to all get stronger. I want us to be vibrant, athletic people, if you will, spiritually. And don't shelve spiritual development. Yes, your financial portfolio and other things are very important. Yes, being able to take care of your family, being able to to get your education, all those kinds of things. But at the forefront, 
is that you should be determined to become more like Christ this year. Here's four things. I want to begin with shepherding. Shepherding was not going to be on my list. But it's on the list for this series because this is one of the things God's speaking to me about personally. And as I reflect on it personally, I realize it's probably one of the hidden things that we don't talk about well as a church that can be one of the most critical things that moves you forward in being like Christ. Why is that? If you'll turn with me to John chapter 10, you will find in John chapter 10, in Jesus' words himself, listen to these words. Just John 10. It's going to be in there, the 10 and 11, but beginning with verse 1. Verily, truly, I tell you, Pharisees, as the religious elite that Jesus got real weary of, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14 again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, referencing his death and resurrection. This command I received from my Father. You come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He brings uh, forgiveness of sins. He brings transformation from the inside out. You begin to journey with Him. But as you journey with Jesus Christ, you soon need to discover this, that it's not just about what Jesus Christ can do for you. It's about what you can do for Him and His mission. And so my challenge to you is one of the disciplines that we need to establish in our life is shepherding. Why? Because the good shepherd dwells within us. Jesus acknowledged himself as the good shepherd. There's all other kinds of analogies of being a leader that he could have said. But over and over again, you see this concept of a shepherd. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, the thing that's interesting for me in this bedded passage here, and if we can put it back up, John 10, 
John 10.10 is one of my favorite verses. And John 10.10 says, you know, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's true. That's what Satan does. But my favorite verse is, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm like, yes! That's what it's about. Not about religion. It's about life. I've come that you may have life abundantly. You may have a party. But guess what? I never really dialed in to thinking about this until this week. Right on the heels of my favorite verse. One of my favorite verses in life is verse John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So one of the disciplines I think that needs to come into our life that we practice is laying down our life for other people. Caring for them. We can become so self-centered, consumed with our own agendas, all that's going on. And we need to acknowledge that there is a need to let the shepherd, the good shepherd in us, live through us. He wants to care for people. And so if your life is very myopic and it's consumed with just your agenda, even on your own little family, if I can even bust you out of your family and say, no, you can't just stay focused there. You have to be relentless and give your life away to other people. This is not optional. Because if you do not do that, you will become more self-centered. Your vision for the world will become more myopic. To become all God has for you to be, you have to go in the path of a shepherd. Now, of course, the shepherd analogy is not an analogy we're too familiar with. I was thankful when I moved here a couple years ago to see that there were sheep next door in the field. And the sheep move around at a certain time of year. And I go, good, the people in Temecula Valley can have a concept of a shepherd. Uh, at least sheep, I don't know, there's too many shepherds out there. I see them in their, four, you know, their, their ATVs or whatever, sort of scattering the sheep or whatever, I don't know. But the concept is a little foreign to us today. But during the time of Christ and during the time of really of all the scriptures, it was a very prominent vocation that was understood by people. In fact, if you study um, shepherds, you can even go study it uh, today uh, in some of the countries, it, it, the shepherd was highly looked upon. You had the kings and you had the military people, but right up there was the shepherd who was perceived as a great leader, a good leader. There's something called the World Economic Forum, and it meets every few years, I guess. Uh, a year ago they met. This is a coalition of, of uh, leaders from different nations, economists, uh, politicians, and they come together to diagnose what's wrong with the world, the greatest problems in the world. And a year ago... As they looked at all the problems in the world, you might think, well, what's some of the scary things, economic, you know, uh, the collapse of Europe, the rise of the the terrorist state, you know, maybe other uh, epidemic kinds of things that are going on, or maybe the racial tensions in the world, right? You say, these are the biggies. Well, this World Economic Forum, they surveyed 1,200 of their people, and at the top, in the top tier of everything, you know what one of the greatest needs they felt in the world? There is a crisis of leadership, a crisis of leadership, and it's really seen on two tiers. It's not that there isn't an abundance of leaders in the world. The problem is that it's the kind of leader that's in the world, the kind of leader. There there doesn't seem to be a, a large number of leaders who have the moral compass to distinguish between what is right and wrong. 
they're sort of myopic. They can judge according to what their particular problem is they're trying to solve in the world. But someone who steps back and understands the bigger scene and understands, you know, what is right and wrong uh, at a macro level, there's just few. But there's another tier at which there's a crisis in leadership, and that's from the ranks from which leadership comes. You see, it used to be in the establishment that the the leaders sort of were groomed. All right, this leader was uh, seen to be pretty strong, and so you'd send them to uh, school, and they'd get an education. They'd come out of the education, and then they were placed into leadership positions, either by ballot or by appointment. But today, leaders are emerging from anywhere within the organization or the lack of an organization. All you need today to be a leader is have a cell phone, as evidenced by, you know, uh, the Arab Spring, Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, all right? People who seemingly haven't good cause, but the, the people just merging out of leadership, and they've never been trained. You can't get in front of these leaders to be able to show them, you know, some of the best pathways to lead. And so you've got this leadership that's just all over the map. A lack of leadership that has a moral compass and a lack of leadership that really has had some of the training and the rightful appointment, if you will. We in the church, and this is some of my personal journey that God's been convicting me about. When you have your life stop still a little bit, all right, I'm like, okay, God. In fact, you just need to not confess. When my brothers walked up to me and I was in tears, my first word to them through my tears was, I don't know. And when I quit, why I said that, it was I was trying to manage. You know how many plates you try to spin in life? Keep everything manageable. I was taking a day with another hired hand from the farm to go to work on a rental house so I didn't lose my renter and problems that in a house that should have sold long ago that hasn't. And I was on the phone the night before with some people from our body that were trying to make some hard decisions for their families. And um, I, it, I, I could go through the list of them, but I just, I quit. What's wrong with you? And this recalibration that's going on in my soul has to do directly with what it means to be a leader. Because in the church sometimes, and it's not necessarily bad, we take it on the corporate perspective, a business perspective, whatever. This is what a leader is. A leader makes things happen. A leader is somebody who people are following or charging a hill. But when I come back to the scriptures, this whole concept of shepherding was actually influenced through another pastor who spoke on it recently. I'm like, you know, there's something in this. I... I, I, I I got a book this last week. I guess other people have been reading it. I hadn't read it yet called The Shepherd Leader. I can't get away from the fact that Jesus' analogy of who he is as a leader is the good shepherd. The good shepherd. I want to be the kind of leader for you, for my family, for this day and age in the world that God calls me to be. But it may not be the kind of leader that 
has been wired into my thinking recently through maybe years of some other kind of training. I need to return or I need to redefine my life according to what the scriptures say we need to be doing. You as an individual, what do you think about your life? You see, I believe God calls us all to be shepherds of other people. Maybe you grew up with this picture. This picture of Jesus being the shepherd. I don't like the picture. It's too Sunday schoolish. It's, oh, well, that's not. That's not the picture of a strong, vibrant leader to me. And if I was to tell you, hey, I'm the shepherd, and you're that little uh, football that's in his arm there, that lamb, you know. Yeah, he's got the gown, he's got the muscles, the flowing hair, all that kind of thing. Jesus is a good shepherd. I don't know what your image may be of it. But let's take that image out of your mind. And let's really look at the life of what a shepherd is to his flock. And it's embedded throughout this chapter 10 section of John, but also throughout scriptures. And I want to highlight a few of those other scriptures. What I'd like to do is I'd like to to take the four legs of this stool and use them as the points. You see, the legs of this stool, and I could use it there, but that would look a little dangerous, me doing that all the time. So this is an upside-down view of the four legs of the stool. And we're going to find some strength and stability of what it means to be a shepherd. I'm going to walk through these. We could literally do a whole series in each of these. But each of these four are going to help bring some definition I believe, to what it means to be a shepherd. And I'm going to challenge you to take on this initiative of being a shepherd leader like the good shepherd this year. All right? The first, the first leg is a shepherd knows his sheep. John 10, 4 says, When he is brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Guess what? You can't be appointed a shepherd of other people. People that learn you, that know you, that you know them, they begin to know your voice. And the sheep follow the shepherds whose voice they know. If you want to be a good shepherd, then you have to be with people and get to know people. And as they get to know you, there will be certain people that you will have some affinity with. They will have affinity with you, and they will begin to hear and know your voice. Our dog, Maggie, very excited when we came back after being gone. She knows our voice. If I step out on the porch and I say, Maggie, come on, girl, she knows my voice, and she comes running. To be a shepherd means that you know the sheep. You can't stiff-arm, strong-arm people, stay claustrophobic in your own little world and say, oh, this, this is my life and I'm just going to be worried about me. Other people have burnt me. They've hurt me. I don't want to go there anymore. You need to understand you've got to give your life away. So I'm sorry. I know sometimes I can come across abrasive. So grow up and stop being so selfish with your life. Okay? I have all eternity to go on my beautiful experiences around the universe with God. 
But this is the day of salvation. This is the time to work. This is the time to be the good shepherd, to be in the fields and the pastures and interacting with people. But you've got to know this. You just can't go and appoint yourself somebody's shepherd. In the course of life, they will respond to your voice. When he has brought them all out, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Later in John 10:14, again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. The second leg of the stool, the second thing is that a shepherd feeds. The shepherd feeds. When he lets them out, they go out to pasture, and they come back in. They eat. There's this passage in Ezekiel that uh, exemplifies how this whole concept of shepherding is throughout Scripture. Ezekiel 34 verse 14 says this, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. So this concept of good shepherd, a good shepherd is mindful that he knows his sheep and they know him, but he is responsible for their feeding. He is responsible for their instruction, for giving them guidance. So also, if you are going to have the discipline of shepherding in your life, it's not just you're hanging out for the social activities. You're actually going to work your way into some significant conversations to be able to speak into somebody's life. And don't speak into their life just hearsay thoughts or pop psychology thoughts. Speak into their life, out of your life, things that you've learned that God has shown you, and speak into their life from Scripture. All right? Sometimes Scripture, everybody knows it. You've got to be reminded of it. There is a feeding aspect that goes on with a shepherd. The third thing is they do lead. They do lead. When he's brought out, all of his own, he goes ahead of them. Going ahead of somebody means you are leading them. Let's look at a, a couple of passages in the Psalms. That One you're most familiar with is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The concept of a shepherd leading. Psalm 78, 52. But he led his own people like a flock of sheep, guiding them safely through the wilderness. Do you know that sheep, I am not a sheep scientist or practitioner. Do you know that sheep will not move on unless they're led? Even when all the food and the grazing has eaten, they will just park and camp there until the shepherd says, come on, let's get going, let's move on. If you're going to shepherd people, you're going to know them and they're going to know you. You are going to feed them, you're going to instruct them, and there are times when you are going to need to lead them and lead them well. The fourth leg of the stool is this, protect protect the passage in John 10 talks about the wolves coming right John 10:28 I give them eternal life and they shall never perish not one will snatch them no one will snatch them out of my hand what's that a picture of the protection of the shepherd 
protect us. Now let me see if I can round up some thoughts here uh, with these four aspects. To know, to see, to lead, and to protect. Normally, you are challenged to be a leader. But you can be a leader and not be a shepherd. But you cannot be a shepherd without being a leader. Because there's different dynamics to being a shepherd. You really must get to know people on a closer level. And you must be able to feed them. And you will seek to protect them. The interesting thing for me as a pastor as I look at this from my own personal life, and each of you can interpret it in your own life and how it's going on, I think to myself, well, I'm going to be a leader. And I could try to be a leader and do things. I mean, you know, leadership, let's, let's pull out the vision statement, the strategy. Let's put together uh, the implementation plan. Let's get the administrative efforts brought together. I can do a lot of time and spend a lot of time doing the leadership stuff without doing the other three things. In fact, surveys have been done of pastors, pastors like me, evangelical Protestant pastors, of, well, how much of your time do you spend doing leadership during the way? And one, and one survey came out that where there was 36 hours spent just on leadership during the course of a week. Another survey asked about, you know, how, when it comes to you know, answering e- emails, returning phone calls, being able to uh, uh, correspond with people, attend meetings, be able to oversee uh, staff, whatever it may be. How, how many hours in a day? And it came up in that survey Something like seven hours and 44 minutes a day are spent on leadership. Now, here's a problem. If all of our time spent doing just that leading thing and not doing the knowing and the feeding and the protecting, then something is amiss. Because Jesus' foremost model concerning leadership, if I can say that at large, is to be a good shepherd. And so I need to be doing these other things as well. Now, here's the challenge. Knowing I can only know so many people in a close, interactive way. I mean, if I meet you in the electronic section of Costco, I will do my best to hear you out and what's going on in your life, but it's a limited amount of time. I love you and I do care for you, but I cannot be there to really know everything that's going on in your life. Other people can, though. We are limited physically, emotionally, I should say as well, to be invested in only a limited number of people's lives, sheep that can know us. Now, when it comes to feeding, I can feed. I could speak to a thousand people, right? But just feeding people is not being a shepherd. Just like knowing people and having some good friendships, that's not shepherding. Leading, I could do all the logistics stuff, cast visions, come up with strategies, have annual meetings and, 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 and dialogue on budgets. And, but that leading isn't shepherding. And the one there on the left is the one I'm challenged with the most sometimes. A good shepherd protects people. A good shepherd, he may get around him some people that are going somewhere. But a good shepherd's also going to take the blemished, broken sheep and is going to spend time with that sheep, protecting them, providing a, a safe 
afraid of that. And so I'm trying to recalibrate my own life heading into 2016, the discipline of being a shepherd. How do I shepherd people well? I need to know people. I need to feed people. I need to lead people. I need to protect people. Now, I don't get all overwhelmed like, oh, my gosh, I can't do that. Jesus says, that's a bonus, Terry. Why don't you just chill out, Terry? You can't be the savior of the world and everything else going on in your life, but you can shepherd some people. I'm the good shepherd. I'm dwelling within you. I want to live through you. I want to reach out and shepherd people. And I have to say, well, there's certain ones there I'm strong with, I suppose, and then there's certain ones I'm weak with. How about you? Are, are you good at being able to listen to people and just sort of pull them around you and they interact, you build friendships maybe quickly? Maybe you're good at, at interacting with people and giving them thoughts and advice even good advice, scripture advice, and man, people walk away and go, wow, that was, that was really good. Thanks for sharing that with me. And that's your prominent disposition just to feed people. Maybe you're a leader, people. You can mobilize people into action to make something come about. Maybe you're a safe person, and people seek you out when they're in a place that's needing protection. <coughs> to know, to feed, to lead, and to protect a shepherd, that center diagram, the shepherd, you can put that up, John, the shepherd is all the Lord. I'm challenging you into some cross-training that you take time in your life to grow in being a good shepherd. And if I can say this, it's not just about shepherding other people, but that you put yourself in a place of being shepherded by other people. I'm so thankful that when a crisis does hit in my life, there are people close to me. Some of them are the elders of this church and others and have walked through small groups with and, and they know me a little bit more than just the periphery. But do people know you? Are you willing to let your life be transparent and vulnerable to grow one with another? I am so grateful, guys. We've been, uh, you know, sort of challenging the sign up for rooted groups, life groups, um, uh, Bible studies, whatever it is, even a men's breakfast, whatever. But uh, separate from the men's breakfast, the people that have signed up, there are 80 adults that have signed up to be in a Bible study or a group beginning here the first of the year. And that's... For a church this size, that's huge. That's huge. That's a win. Off the charts. But what you're saying when you say, I'm going to be a part of a smaller group other than the larger group of a Sunday morning, is I want to come into a shepherd, shepherding, and being shepherd kind of relationship. And I pray that all of our groups, and the women's Bible study as well, that there's this authenticity, this, this brokenness, this transparency. Yeah, you know, you can't just spill everything in a group setting. I understand that. But you're working your way closer into relationships one with another so people can know you, so people can feed you, so people can lead you, so people can protect you when you need to be protected. And so then you in turn can turn around and you can know others and they can know you and you can feed them as well as being fed and that you can lead as well as being led and you can protect as well as being protected. It is a discipline and it needs to be on your schedule. Because it doesn't happen just flying from one week to another with all the other plates spinning that we have to do. 
So car accident or not, God says to Carrie, Carrie, slow down. Be a good shepherd. Let people shepherd you. This is a spiritual discipline. This is a little bit better picture of Jesus I conclude with that I put in the middle of him caring for sheep, the black sheep, the wayward sheep. I am the good shepherd. Take this image. I see the vision of being a good shepherd as one that is strong. One that is strong. And we need in the evangelical church today not greater leaders. We need greater shepherds. You can be a leader without being a shepherd, but you can't be a shepherd without being a leader. You pursue, le- you pursue being good shepherding, a good shepherd, you will become a great leader. And when eternity tells all things, you will see the lives that you impact. And you'll hear the voices of those who have gone before you. Oh, I knew that voice. And there will be a great reunion on that day. I close with this story that you think of in Scripture. Remember when Peter really screwed up? I mean, he screwed up. He denied Jesus on the cross, right? Remember the encounter of Jesus after the resurrection with Peter? Boat issues, Jesus preparing meal, longshore. Peter comes to Jesus. I really wish I had a videotape of this. Jesus reinstates Peter. He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. And what does Jesus say to him? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then tend to my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Why did Jesus use that analogy to a fisherman? You ever think about that? He was used to fishing. What are you talking about being a sheep herder for? Because the analogy of a sheep herder, a great shepherd, is a really strong analogy. And Jesus himself called himself the good shepherd. He could have said to Peter, you know, make disciples. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then be a better leader. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then don't be a wimp. You know, I have all kinds of things he could have said to him, right? But he looked at him and he said, feed, tend my sheep. And if I can be so bold to speak authoritatively in a prophetic word on behalf of Jesus Christ in this moment through his spirit here, he would come and he would look at each one of you and he would say, what are you doing in 2016? Feed my sheep. Lord God, I ask today that you would convict us as a church about being there for one another and shepherding well and being willing to let our lives be shepherded. May we not be the Lone Ranger Christians thinking we can go it on our own, but may we come into rich community in small groups and otherwise, and may we find the blessing of what it means to be a flock underneath your care. And Lord, in your time and your way, I know there's a multiplication of that flock that comes, but Lord, why would you ever enrich us with multiplication if we did not steward well those who you bring and the lives that are here? God, help me be a better shepherd. Lord, help us be a better shepherding church. In your name we pray.
We are now going to close with a song today. Joe goes next door and is working with students, so I'm going to ask the ushers if they come, pass the offering plates out. Um, the reason being, I want always the offering at the end sometimes for you to respond.